Outlook today on The Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is time to launch the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. And today, the guy that you can blame for all the weather we've been having all week. You just heard him. We just yanked him out of the weather headquarters to join us today. Jay McQueen. Halloween McQueen. Oh, yeah. You, you heard that. Oh, eh? I heard that. Yeah. So this is all your fault, this weather, this week, is it? Um, Partially, I guess. We can blame it on... Well, Jack Frost has made an appearance, right, already, and... Uh, it's the classic sort of fall scenario where you've got uh, the the cold air is starting to try to come down from the north, and uh, you still have got a lot of deep tropical moisture uh, down uh, way down south, and so uh, yeah, and we're in an active sort of a active storm track now. Hence all the rain in the last uh, week or so, and it looks like that's going to continue. It sucks. I'm sorry. It's just it's yeah. It is. Uh, you know, and I was just saying this afternoon. I was cleaning some stuff out of the garage. I've got some firewood coming tomorrow, and I was saying every time I take down decorations, whether it's Halloween or uh, or Christmas, the stuff is always wet the day that I decide yes, to take yes. it down. So it's like a six step process. Instead of just taking it down and throwing it in a box or a, or a bin, it's no, you take it down and then you got to dry it out somewhere, right? <laughs> so you get all the stuff gets shifted into the garage and then, you know, and then it sits there for, because I won't get to it for three weeks. I was really hoping for an extended, I got to be politically correct, indigenous summer. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was, uh, yeah. I was, I was hoping for those mid thirties until at least early December, but uh, I'm not going to have any luck there. I don't Doesn't think. Look like it, no. I, I wanted to mention this. I was, I want. You ever, you ever go on your computer, and I think a lot of people do this. I don't think I'm the only one. And you intend to look something up, but you come across some video, and then on the side on YouTube, there's all the other things that you could watch, and you end up. Down a, uh, the wormhole? Down the that, rabbit hole, yeah. down the wormhole, yeah. watching something completely unrelated to what you had intended to go on, and suddenly an hour has gone by. Yesterday, I ended up somehow watching videos of people crashing Lamborghinis and other high-end oh, performance wow. cars. That's a new one, I, yeah. And I got to tell you, Jay, I I feel like I may be a really bad person because I, I gleaned... Some sort of perverse glee watching these people <laughs> crack up $300,000 cars with their bad driving. There was Especially a, the one where he bounced a brand new, it looked like a brand new yellow Lamborghini into it looked like what was an old Toyota Tercel. Oh, that's a, yeah. Did they, did they, you know, I hope the Lamborghini won. No, no. No. No, they're made of like handmade fiberglass and stuff. They just, <laughs> they just fall apart. I, I, I used to see the ones uh, several years ago. It was like a Hummer versus a Dodge Ram. It was, you know, they get them both up to about a hundred and see what they can do, right? I just, I, I, I know that I'm a bad person for finding such, hol- not hilarity. It, it is. It's almost a joy in watching these people <laughs> who spent this much money then... <sighs> Go, oops. It's, I would think I'd be cringing, yeah, watching that. Well, there's cringiness. Definitely, you know. But most of it is because they, they, these people clearly don't know how to handle the power. They just basically yeah. at the, at the green light, hit the gas and end up spinning out and crashing into someone. <laughs> Too much car. And Too I'm not the only one. I mean, this was the amazing thing. How many passers-by and people videotaping this found hilarity in these I, expensive cars yeah, being wrecked. And I think to me, the, the hilarity is in, you know, if it's the Lamborghini versus the old beat up Tercel or whatever, right? You know, if it's a Lamborghini versus a Ferrari, then it's just, you know. Well, there was one. There was one. This one, actually, this one was cringy. Uh, this was 
it was some sort of convention of ex- elite high-end cars and some idiot hit the gas instead of the brake and took out about seven of them. Oh, no. And so you've now got probably about $4 million in car repairs oh, in oh. one video. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't know why I'm such a bad person that way, but it was, it was, I don't know why we find joy in the sad, like it happens. Yeah. I would never find it funny if watching someone just driving a normal car, crashing their car, I would feel badly for them. But if you can drop a quarter million bucks into a car, you can deal with my laughing at you. I think, I think, yeah, that goes with the territory. I once had somebody in the parking lot when I, at the station here several years ago, uh, I was going about three kilometers an hour and he was going about six kilometers an hour and not, not looking. And it was a slow speed crash. He crashed into me. And? Uh, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we had to get the car fixed. You had yeah. damage yeah, from that? Yeah, it was some damage. Yeah. Yeah. Seems they're not making cars the way they used no, to. No, they're not. No. <clears throat> especially not, especially not the high end <laughs> sports vehicles. There was one, what's the, uh, what's the really, really, uh, super high one? The, um, like a Bugatti. Bugatti. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. There was a Bugatti that a guy, he was st- <laughs> idling and getting frustrated that the traffic in front of him was not moving. <laughs> and he got, you could see, cause there's someone with a camera was walking beside him to get a picture of the car and yeah. you could see he was getting steamed. When the light turned thing. green, he hit the gas and goes, and the back end swerves out and he went straight into a light pole. Oh. And it was like. I, yeah, mm. I, I, I'm with you on that one. And, uh, like you said, I think if the, you can afford, you know, quarter of a million for a car, then, uh, you, you've got to be okay with, uh, people laughing at. That. I do want to, I do want to talk to the people though from YouTube because I, 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 they seem to know exactly how to put those videos up. They seem <laughs> oh, yeah. to know you and I know this is from, you know, the logistics, yeah. everything. They know how to get you to spend way too much time watching absolute stupidity. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Jay, let me start here because, um. You got to start somewhere. Well, right? because you got to start somewhere. And I yeah. saw this story this week, and I, I I found this curious. I found it interesting. Adrian Clarkson used to be the governor general of this country. I don't know if you saw this story earlier, but mm-hmm. over since she has left that post, which I think was two thousand five, two thousand six, there's been at least two. I think we're into our third governor, David Johnson, and. Um, uh, um, my talk show producing days that have this right on the tip yeah, of my no, tongue. Yeah, no, no, I know. And, and anyway, there's been, I think there's three since. So she's been out for a while and she has billed well over a million dollars to the Canadian taxpayers for supplies. So not for, not for a salary or something else, mm-hmm. for supplies. And today she responded to this article. She, she had a piece in the Globe and Mail. Um, it was online. You can find it. And basically she is saying, I am nearly 80. I am working, still representing the country, still giving speeches for free. How can you people begrudge me my small, rather insignificant paltry expenses? I write sometimes up to five articles a year for free. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing at this and yet somehow it seems to me that if you have spent your life in the warm embrace of government, 
of of bureaucracy of the public service there seems to be for some people i'm not suggesting for all but for some people there seems to be this sense that you are entitled to keep doing this and my, my initial thought is okay so you retired there are an awful lot of people who retire from their job and volunteer their time. They actually, I know this may be yeah. remarkable for <laughs> someone who is in her position, but there are people who buy their own pencils, write their own speeches, go and give a talk somewhere and don't think, wonder, huh, ka-ching, ka-ching. I wonder if that's yeah. what, what is going on? How, how do we have these situations where we seem to have these people who, and again, I, Maybe it's a private ser- a private sector thing too, but it seems often mm-hmm. that it's, and again, not all, but a lot of people who have lived their life in the public sector think this is some sort of thing they're owed. Or yeah, it's sort of the old I, I'm entitled to my entitlement, right? And and um, is, does she not get a, a pension? I'm, she must. If you're the Governor General of Canada, you'd think that you she uh, gets yeah she gets some sort of well of course she'd have a pension of some kind and she, I'm sure she has a pension from CBC for doing uh, Adrian Clarkson presents for all those years on TV and she's and her husband is not an not a poor man yeah uh, John Ralston Saul I mean they they have they're, they're not hurting and this is something else I mean Jay's if she was living in a hovel somewhere <laughs> eating dry macaroni and cheese yeah. once a week. All right. I'm pretty sure that if it came time to buy some foolscap and some pens, she could afford it. But supplies, a million dollars in supplies. It's 100,000 a year almost. Yeah. Actually, it's a little more than 100,000 a year. Yeah. I mean, that's just when it becomes, I think, you know, there's, you get a governor general every several years and, you know, you can probably point the finger at her for bringing this to the attention of, uh, you know, everybody, because how many other governors general have been in the position and, you know, have have had spending habits like that? You know, uh, I think that she's gone, she's made it she, like it's sort of one of those top line budget items thing where where it's, you know, if you're way down the budget list, it's okay, whatever, not a big deal. But if the things are up toward the top end of the list because they're, you know, it's a lot of money, then people notice. And so whether she thought people wouldn't notice this or she just thought she was entitled to hundred grand ish in supplies every year, I mean, to me, it's ridiculous. Well, here's, here's what she wrote in the Globe today. Uh, Last year, I fulfilled 182 commitments, many of them public events. Now, let me stop there for a second because that, that is laudable. That is something that I would say, congratulations, that is a good thing. And to some of those things, if you had to get a cab or a, I'm sure she's not taking an Uber, um, if you have to get there, we understand, I think, to some degree that. Yeah. I gave 16 speeches with no honorariums or fees and 10 pieces of writing for no fee. Well, uh, see, she had an interesting thought and then to me just completely nullified it by <laughs> making it sound like giving 16 talks and 10 pieces of writing for nothing, like somehow... <laughs> Yeah. Was, you just blew your cover. Yeah. I mean, is that, are we supposed to feel sorry and, 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 oh, wow, you did a lot of work there. I mean, you know, she's not the only one who does that. A lot of people do that. Maybe, most people. Yeah. Not, not, maybe not speeches, maybe not writing, but most people when they retire, I don't think just sit at home and no. watch TV. They do that too, but they, most people 
give something back or volunteer or do something with their time, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I, it, to me, it seems like she, she, you know, she thinks that she, you know, demands a certain amount of style of living. Yeah, and and that she doesn't do anything for free. I guess she's one of those people, and you maybe know. we're gonna come back though because I don't think it's just her. And we're going to talk about this Uh with Jay McQueen. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're chatting about Adrian Clarkson. Although, Jay, to be fair, I I think we may be picking on Adrian a little bit because I suspect that she is far from the only... I use the word civil servant with my tongue in my cheek because it's a, it's a phrase, it's a say, it's a, a word that once upon a time I think had merit. I think there were a lot of people once upon a time who could have made much more money in the private sector mm-hmm. and chose to help society and they earned the title civil servant. I have a hard time calling almost anybody a civil servant. We are the servants <laughs> to them now, not yeah. the other way around. Yeah, But I... We're talking about the story of of Adrian Clarkson, former governor general, who's billed the Canadian government over a million dollars for supplies since leaving office. And as we said just before the break, I don't think she's anywhere close to alone. I think when you look at the the benefits, the pensions, the these kind of things, there is a problem that we have. And I don't think it's just us. I think there's a problem people have working often in the public sector that there's a sense of entitlement. Well, I think it goes back to quite often uh, public sector, uh, you know, sectors of the public sector are not run like businesses. And so um, there is a lot of fat. There is a lot of waste. There is a lot of, uh, probably there's a lot of things in budgets that, uh, money that just, because there's so much money going around and, and you know what I mean? Like, because it's there, it's there. It just, you don't even, they don't even notice it. Right. So I think, you know, she is probably the tip of the iceberg. Well, Uh, how many times have we heard someone say with budgets and we hear this a lot with, I've heard this a lot with municipal and provincial budgets is, well, if we don't spend our money this year, we're going to have our budget slashed for next year. And so we need to spend... To me, that is the single most aggravating thing in government, that you have an opportunity to save us money, but out of a fear that somehow you're going to have to be good with your money next year, let's just blow it. Yeah. That to me is always, that has always driven me nuts that it's just, you're just spending money to spend money and and because you don't, you know, you think you're not going to get it next year and, uh... That is, there's got to be, there's got to be a better way of, of doing things than that. That's like us running our uh, household budget and while well, we've got, we've got, you know, X amount of dollars left in the bank in December, so we might as well blow it all on Christmas presents because, you know, we're going to start fresh and we're going to get the same amount next year. I or mean, you got an inheritance from someone. You got 10,000 bucks yeah. in inheritance and said, well, we better spend it because if we don't, we may not get another one next year. I mean, yeah. it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah. And yet we do this all the time, I think. And again... For those listening, I don't believe that every person who works for the government at any level is like this. I don't don't believe that. I think there are people who are responsible with their money. Unfortunately, it's the ones, and there are a lot of them, that don't feel the same need to be tight with their money because it's not their money. It's not their money. And I I mean, honestly, if you were to go to Adrian Clarkson or any of the other people and you said this is going to be coming out of your pocket. How much of that $100,000 do you think she would have actually spent? Oh, 
Yeah. No. A hundred thousand a year on supplies and things yeah. like that. How much of that would she have spent if that was out of her pocket? Yeah. It wouldn't have been, yeah, nothing. She wouldn't, if it was coming out of her own pocket, she wouldn't have spent a dime. So why then do you need to spend? If it's not important enough for it to be your money to be spent, why are we spending it? Because she's the former governor general and she's entitled to do so, right? And she's served the country but and it, blah, 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 blah. And and here, okay. And, and I, again, I don't want to be dumping just on Adrian Clarkson, because again, I think you can find this in a lot of politicians, mm. but this whole thing about serving the country. Did she, I mean, she <laughs> represented the queen in the country. But when I think of serving, when I think of servanthood of some kind, I think of some level of sacrifice. I don't see any, in most of our politicians, in certainly this, I don't see any sacrifice. The word serving the country, and she uses it. C- come on. You, you, you've you dined at all the fanciest dinners. You've worn the nicest clothes. Mm-hmm. You've been paid handsomely. You travel first class. Uh, you're not exactly a servant to yeah. too many people. Yeah. I would say, and you know, I'm sure it's pretty stereotypical, but serving the country. When you say, when you put it that way, I think of you know somebody uh, you know doing a tour of duty overseas yes. in, in in the military or that yes. kind of thing, right? Or you know, um, not flying first class everywhere. A doctor and, who takes six weeks out of their year or whatever else to go do volunteer surgeries in some country, mm-hmm. right, where they're not being paid. You're doing something sacrificial. You're giving up some money. Yeah, I mean, serving, that's a, yeah. I think we got to (laughs) change the definition of public service. I agree. Because if you are making more money in your public job than you could have made in the private sector, you are no longer a servant. I'm sorry, you're just not. No, you're right. You're just not. Yeah. Next time someone who was unemployed and gets elected and then declares themselves a public servant... You know, throw a water balloon at them us, or something. Yeah, exactly. Thanking the uh, people that elected exactly. you, Exactly. That's exactly it. Why do you think so many people ran for municipal office in the last election? It's like, yeah, it's 90,000 bucks if I can win. Yeah. Hey, let's go for it. I live in Ward uh, 7 and it was, I couldn't keep, I couldn't keep track of all the people running in my ward because, you know, Donna Skelly moved on, right? And so it was, you know, here's the opportunity, right? And I, I get it, but yeah, it's... And I'm, I'm not arguing, again, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that nobody who goes into public life is doing it for reasons other than selfish. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, unfortunately, too many either become that or begin to get very comfortable with the fact that there's money here and I can spend this money and I don't have to really be tight with the money and it's not my money, so I'm good to go. Yep. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. I uh, used to have a boss in the private sector who had um, sort of a corporate credit card to spend on, you know, whatever. I don't know what the guidelines were, but I, I bet you he used it maybe three times a year to take somebody out for a lunch that was probably Because he probably had to answer to someone yeah, else yeah. to explain it. Private sector, yep. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Story this week, it was in the spec, it's on Global News, a bunch of different places about the seemingly crisis of violence against teachers in classrooms, that that teachers are being abused, they're being assaulted. Some places, unbelievably, 
have responded to this and come up with the solution to this by giving teachers Kevlar vests to wear. Oh, and sometimes, wow. I, and I found this very hard to believe, but this is what is written. Also, masks in some cases where kids would be, I guess that may be in a class with some sort of special needs where kids might spit or something like that. I'm not really okay. sure. It's, But I hear this, and I mean, you're younger than I am. We all have people listening of all different ages, but if you are older than what, 30, maybe, this seems to me, the idea of being violent, in even violence, and I don't mean by hitting them with a baseball bat, I mean just slapping your teacher, punching a teacher, what, even verbally doing this just seems like something you could have never imagined. I could never have imagined having that happen in my class at school. No, for, for as much, I mean, I'm 38, so... Uh, could you have ever seen this happening when you were in high school? No. I mean, I we had, uh, you know, you have your loose cannons, uh, students, buddies or whatever, um, and guys that are, you know, the hotheads and all that stuff. And you see, I saw my share of uh, fights. I, I saw some some guy get, uh, you know, his head stomped in the hallway. and uh, But it was always student to student. It was never, uh, you know, this this idea that, Teachers are getting attacked. And it's up 10% this year in Hamilton. The, the reports of violence or incidents against teachers is up 10% this year. And it's, and it's not a small number. Like, it's not up to 20 or something. Like, it's mm-hmm. up. It's, it's, we're in the thousands of cases, apparently. It, it comes, it goes back to respecting authority. And I, I, I for whatever reason it is, you, you, you know, you mentioned people over 30 maybe having a hard time uh, believing this uh, or fathoming it but and it maybe it's right there's something about the generation coming up that um, maybe just anecdotally but I feel like there's a at times a lack of respect for authority and people you know kids aren't being told no anymore for some reason and so and there's no or there's no consequences for their actions and so um, you and know. you know what I find funny about that, though, is that the people who are the parents of those kids or other people who are pointing to it are saying, well, look at those idiot kids who have no respect. Well, you just touched on the fact that it's the parents who are not making their kids. When you, if, yeah. I had, if I had come home from school or if, if I had been sent home and, been, and I had to say, well, why are you home at one o'clock? Well, because I slapped my teacher. Yeah. I would... I would have had both my arms ripped off my body and I would have been beaten about the head with my own limbs. Yeah, I mean, I I was, uh, you know, I, I got the couple of spankings when I was a kid, right? And because I was, you know, I'm old enough to be, you know, it was okay for the most part back then. Um, but I learned... You were in the tanned high generation. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not old enough to be, you know, there was no belt or anything no. like that. But, you know, I, I learned pretty quickly that, hey, you know what? I better listen to whether it's my mom and dad or I want to do well in school because I want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to upset my mom and dad because this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go. I don't have a job at, the, at, at nine years old, but my job at that age is to go to school and, you know, and be on time and do your work and, you know. Don't get expelled. Yeah, and don't get expelled. And, um, and yeah, but I would have... You know, my goal was always, hey, you know, let's try to keep your nose clean. And, and, uh, and I, you know, if I ever got in trouble, I thought the first thing that came to my mind was my mom and dad are going to find out. They're going to be disappointed and there's consequences, right? Whether you're going to be grounded or whatever, right? But nowadays, I don't know what it is, but 
you know, getting assaulting your teacher like these kids. We and and here's why I feel badly for teachers in this particular case is because we have taken it seems every venue, every method of helping keep order and discipline in the class away from them. It's so it's not it's not that I don't think it's not that teachers are saying, "Ah, screw it, do whatever you want in class." Mm. You can't fail kids. <laughs> You're not supposed to you can't be physical certainly. We're not going to go back to the strap or hitting them over the knuckles with a ruler or something. You can't verbally berate a kid in front of his classmates because that could affect their self-esteem and all this kind of stuff. And if you do, and then a parent calls the school and says, that teacher said this to my son, my daughter, now the teacher's in trouble. Teachers don't have any tools at their disposal because all the things that teachers once upon a time would have done to discipline a student have now been taken away either through lawsuits or through threats of lawsuits or through human rights things. And you made a point right as soon as we went to the break, you made a point about this. And the students know that. They know that they, they're, what's in the back of their head is, or not even the back, the forefront of their minds are, is, what are you going to do? You can't do anything because I will, I will get you fired. I will sue your butt off. I will, all of the above. They, they know that it's gone, it's swung so far from teachers hitting students with the belt, you know, in the 50s or 60s, whenever it was, to now you can't even, you can't, you can't even, you can, well, they know they can't lay a finger on you, but even so much as maybe raising your voice or... because even if you were, let's say Jay McQueen was 16 again, mm-hmm. and let's say you were not the good, well-behaved Jay McQueen, but you were... Yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> I, the other. And let's say you went to, you shoved a teacher <laughs> or you slapped a teacher and they grabbed you or tried to stop it physically, tried to defend themselves and they made contact with you. They're the ones who are going to be in trouble now. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the, so where do you go? Because this clearly, we're talking about 2,800 incidents. This cannot continue. And it's not just for the safety of the teachers, though that's clearly an issue here. Every time this happens, I have to imagine it's a massive disruption in class. The other kids who are trying to, some of them who are trying to learn something aren't. What do you do? How do you possibly, in our litigious society where you just said it, where teachers are going to be sued or fired or whatever else if they do anything, how do you do that? What do you do? Well, I mean, if there is an incident... Um, you know, and then it becomes students' word against teachers and where are the witnesses or who are the witnesses? Well, you've got so classmates, you, so hopefully. You've, you've got classmates. And so where do they, where does, where does the truth lie, right? You, you hope that the students are going to, you know, sort of relay the truth when it comes to saying what happened. But would, do you get into a situation where the, the, you know, there's students who are like, you know, just on the side of this other student because, right? And so they do we- cl- cameras in do, all the classrooms? I was going to say, do we have to get into getting cameras in and then, but then it's, you know, big brothers watching. But you know? it goes even beyond that because clearly if we've got 2,800 incidents, you can't expel- all these kids, or at least even if you tried to get rid of these kids, something, there's 2,800. This is not a few people. And society, or at least those in in the administration or the ethereal theory of education would go, well, that Jay McQueen, 16-year-old who just assaulted, if if we kick him out of school, his future is done. 
he has no chance. So we have to somehow keep him in the system. We don't mm-hmm. want to just kick him out and have him flail around because he's then going to be a lost soul. Yeah. Well, and this is part of part of the we we're not going to fail the kids because they're going to all their friends are going to be off in great self esteem. Yeah, their the friends are gone, and now they have to make new friends, and so we just we're going to push them forward. Um, I don't know. I mean, I it's it's twenty eight hundred in in a year. That's what it says. I mean that it's unreal. I mean, I don't know what kind of society of or batch of kids are being raised, but holy. Holy anger issues. Well, I, I go to what you said. You know? If you don't see any downside in this, if you're a student and you see no downside, I mean, think about it in a different way. If we had a system where no store owner was able to defend themselves or their property and you could simply walk in, take anything you want, they can't do anything about it. And when you go to call the police and say, I want that person charged, well, that would really affect his self-esteem and would possibly set his life on a path of difficulty. So we're not going to do it. What would possibly stop tons and tons of people from just saying, well, I'm just going to do what I want then. I'll take what I want. That's the way it would be. Um, I I will say this though. Uh, I have a daughter now in junior kindergarten and I was... For all the things we hear about, ah, oh, the teachers can't, their, their hands are tied, you know, um, they might not be able to do much. Uh, I think I had my faith in, in the system restored um, and, and not not a teacher, you know, saying or doing anything necessarily to a student. But, um, you know, in kindergarten, when you pick your, your, your kids up, the teachers come out, the parents are there, students are there. And I saw, or my wife actually saw... Uh, my daughter's teacher basically say to another mother, your, your, what your son did was unacceptable. And she sort of, you know, mm. she was not speaking uh, quietly when she said well, it's good. unacceptable. And if it happens again, we're going to be calling you and you're going to have to pick him up. That is good. And I that thought, someone wow. would do that. Thankfully that someone would do that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last night on this show, we were chatting with Alan Mendelson, who is an internet lawyer. He's based in Montreal. He's a great guest. We always love having him on here. We were talking about this story that broke earlier this week, that Statistics Canada, with the full backing of the federal government, is going to be taking the banking information of 500,000 Canadians who have not been told, were not going to be told, and cannot go and ask their bank if they are one of the people. You have no idea if you're one of these people. StatsCan, with the federal government, is saying we will be able to examine your credit card bills, your debit purchases, your bank balances, your money interact transfers, your whatever else. Trust us. We're going to be, we're going to use this wisely. We're not going to let this leak out there. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have very little confidence that this is going to end well. Who, I mean, who gives permission for that? Like The government and Statistics Canada. They say it's, a, it's essential to know how we can do studies for future. We need modern data so that we can understand how the system works and spending habits and all this other stuff. So you're going to use our money. Our information. 
our taxpayer, but you're going to use our taxpayers' money. Oh, yes, yes. Our dollars. That <laughs> funding Stats Canada yeah. to take our private, what I thought was our private information. To me, Jay, there are yeah. very few things in my mind that we've always assumed or had some sort of social contract is our private business. Our medical information between you and your doctor, our legal information between you and your lawyer, our religious convictions between you and your priest or rabbi or whomever, Mm -hmm. and your financial information that is with you and your bank. And now one of those is apparently not secret and not private. So I guess the government can just say to whatever bank it is, whatever, if I bank with RBC or whatever it is, they can just say, hey, um, you know, here's permission to go and and look at all this stuff, pour over the the information and do whatever you want with it as long as you promise to behave with it. I mean, that's, oh. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist by nature. No, me neither. I've said this on the air many times. There is one conspiracy that was a conspiracy, and that was the assassination of JFK. The rest, I don't believe in other conspiracies, but mm-hmm. I got questions about this. For example, they're going to take 500000 Well, how are they choosing the 500000 Now, maybe, I mean, I don't want to dive too far down the rabbit hole here and say, well, they're going to be choosing people who whatever, but how do we know who they're going to be looking? Is it pure? Yeah. Is it really going to be random? Well, and what will happen is... is <laughs> Inevitably, they're going to land on somebody who may or may not have been audited by CRA anyway. And so they're going to get into, well, you're auditing me because of something that was flagged in by by looking through this data, right? I mean, it's going to happen. Out of a half a million people, there will be a handful at least of people who maybe we're never audited before, who are going to get the old, you know, uh, not, not the scamming phone call in, in terrible English and bad grammar and all that stuff, but the, um, you know, the official letter from CRA or whatever saying, you know, we want to uh, reassess you or audit you or however they do that. But you won't know that that's because of this because you're not allowed to know if you were one of the names oh, on that so they're list. Not, yeah, they're not even telling you. Not only are they not telling you, you can't ask. You can't say, by the way, am I one of those? So you have no idea if you are going to be being looked at. And you know, one of the funny things about this, and when I say funny, I don't mean funny, ha ha. I cover sports and most sports now, many sports have testing, random drug testing. Stunning to me how many times in quote, quote, random drug testing, the football player in university football who happened to have the best game of his life happens just by random coincidence to be the guy that they pull aside and say, oh, your name came up for random testing. It Mm. happens all the time, all the, it's never for whatever reason, it's never the guy or the woman who played three minutes of irrelevant play and did nothing in the game. That happens so seldom. And so when I look at this and I'm using, I know this, those are two different things, but it's always the person who's done something to stand out. And I'm looking saying it's going, I would, I'm, I'm willing to almost bet money that if you have been a vocal 
opponent of the government. Somehow <laughs> your name is going to be on the list to check. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past And them. because you can't know, yep. what's your defense? Yep. You have no defense and they can, because nobody is going to know, they can go ahead and pick whoever they want and for, for whatever reason. And there's no, you know, who who uh, monitors that to make sure there's nothing funny going on. I, yeah, I don't like it. And what I, I keep don't like getting, it. Well, and what I keep getting told is you're being conspiratorial. You're, you're, you, you, we are, we're doing this for good reasons. You can trust us. You can trust it. We're not, we're, nobody's doing the stuff you're talking about. Well, the government, as I said last night, as we were talking, is not a person. It's a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds, some of whom are entirely trustworthy. Some of whom may have a bone to pick with someone for whatever reason that may or may not. Mm -hmm. Some who are perfectly honorable, some who are less so. I, if I can't even know, it, put it this way, if I'm supposed to be able to just give up my banking information, trusting you, <laughs> at the very least, they should have to release all the people in the government with names and phone numbers who possibly could have access to my information. It only, it, it only seems fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally, I'm on board with that. And, you know, when it takes people a long time to, you know, you know online shopping is big now, but it, you know, and it's taken some people a long time to come around to that because it's, it's uh, putting your credit information out there on a, a site that you hope is, or you're told is secure. Right. And so. But it's a but, leap of faith. And it's, but it's your choice. It's, it's the choice, my choice. It's your choice. In this case, there is no choice. It's, it's, you're just putting it out there. And as you said, it's not just one person in the government who's looking at this. It's a whole bunch of people. And well, as how can Al you trust all As that? Alan Mendelson, who, again, the internet lawyer we had on last night, as he said, and I think his point was very valid. And he said, look, if you, if you're the government and you believe this is required, that this is absolutely necessary to be able to study modern spending habits and everything else. For what reason could the banks not clean off all the identifying information about the account? So if Jay McQueen's bank account is going to be one of the ones that they're going to examine, mm -hmm. they see it only as person 064924, doesn't have your name, doesn't have your address, doesn't have your social insurance number. You can have that information then, but you have no way of identifying who it belongs to. Then... Sure, knock yourself out. I don't care at that point. Yeah, that's it's, a good point. It, if it's anonymous, mm -hmm. I don't care what you do with it then. But we don't ask people to put their names on their ballot when they're voting exactly. for good reason. Yeah. So if you're not willing, if for some reason the government says we shouldn't have to anonymize, is that a word? Uh, Anonymate? <laughs> we're making up words, yeah. but if we, if we're not, if we don't think that there's a need to make this so that it is non-identifying to me, there's something wrong with it. Yeah. To me, I'm, I get very concerned about that. Well, it's a, you, like you, you use the voting example, they give you a privacy screen, you know, a little slip, you slip, you, there's a, there's a booth uh, that's around you on three sides. And then there's a little folder that you slide your, when we just voted for, mm -hmm. I hope you voted in the I municipal did. election. I was, you know. Talking to the listeners, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, yeah, you, you looked away when I looked when I didn't look at you. But um, yeah, it's um, privacy. Yeah, take the names out of it. What what do they need your 
your information, your name for then. So take it out and then I, I'd be a little more okay with it then. But I, I, the president, the prime minister this week in the house of commons basically said that it was fear mongering by the other parties. I said this last night and I'll repeat it again because I think it bears repeating. If this was Stephen Harper's government oh. that was proposing this, oh. the other parties, the liberals and the NDP and everyone would have been absolutely losing their minds yep. that this is a government that wants to break into our privacy and steal our stuff. And blah, blah, blah. It, it is not fear mongering. I think that we have very good reason to not want a faceless, nameless, monolithic government to have access to this stuff. And there's a good reason for that. And we've seen it over the years. We've seen it different places. We, I, I, I really hope that they either come around to this or are forced to come around to this by the privacy commissioner or something. And, and someone says... This is, as it stands right now, this is not acceptable. Well, with all the data breaches nowadays and that kind of stuff, I mean, you know, we're those kinds of things. How do we know that, that, you know, obviously somebody, hackers will know that the government is doing this. Uh, Do we trust in our government that they, you know, their their computer servers or whatever, wherever this information is going to be are you know, beefy enough to, to ward off any... Better hope so. Yeah. And how do you know if they, you know, technology is changing all the time. There's there's new ways of doing the hacking and all this stuff, right? I trust the private, I trust the banks to protect this, even though they've had some breaches over the years. Mm-hmm. I trust them far more because the, the downside to a bank having a hack where they lose all the business because you have an option to go somewhere else and do your banking. I don't, you know, bank X gives up all my information. I'm out of here. Yeah. They have way more to lose. What happens if the federal government has, is hacked? What's our option to take our information to? There is none. Justin Trudeau out in a nice suit and a long face saying, I apologize. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, for. He'll be, he'll have a weepy apology for the data hack. He'll have a nice, you know. But did you notice that I legalized cannabis? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Jay McQueen is in studio. Jay. Hey. Taxi drivers in Toronto say that they intend to sue the city for as much as $1.7 billion for the lost value of their licenses because they have to have a plate license to be a taxi driver. You have to pay for that. Mm-hmm. And now that there is Uber and there are other ways to get around in town, they say that their taxis aren't worth anything like this. Therefore, they're going to try and seek some sort of recompense from the city. Do they have a case or do you look and you say, you know what? It's the it's the risk you take that there's always technology. There's always changes. You got into an industry and too bad, so sad. Yeah, I mean, I I think about my mind immediately goes to uh, when you and you mentioned technology, but goes to media and uh, goes to radio specifically. You know, um, you know, is that like uh, devaluing the license of uh, broadcast stations because uh, because there's other things out there now? There's maybe satellite radio, or there's the internet, and there's there's uh, all these things, right? That that it's not just uh, you know a one a one game town anymore, and so 
And you can find that in all kinds of areas where technology has reduced the number of jobs you need or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, like car car manufacturing and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, it's it's inevitable that something is going to come up and change change the way your your industry works. Um, and so, so yeah, they want to sue for one point seven billion dollars because they're saying the city devalued their is their licenses their that they licenses. had to pay for. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, I've. I tried to use Uber once, and the app didn't work. I mean that I once, and that was it. So we we I called the uh, one of a few taxi numbers in Hamilton that I know off the top of my head because I've lived here all my life, and it's pretty pretty simple to do. And you know, but you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't try Uber, but I I have you know, I have uh, you know can I guess uh, things about it that I'm not totally on board with you know but but there is i mean find a find a a an industry that has not been affected by technology yeah i'm thinking of as i think about things right it's you know um even i will say even (laughs) something like becoming a police officer i can remember when i was the police reporter here at the radio station uh back maybe I would say 10, 12 years ago, and they were, uh, police services were hiring quite a few people. Um, and it was a, a very, it was something that people wanted to get into. Uh, and it was, especially if you'd had another career first, they, they prefer that as opposed to just coming mm-hmm. out of, you know, college or university and I'm going to apply to be a police officer. Uh, talking to a police officer friend of mine from Toronto and where they've had hiring freezes and all this kind of stuff. And seeing all of how technology and seeing how uh, a lot of times uh, a police officer's actions, whether they're right or wrong, you know, are are photographed and videoed and and all of this stuff. Um, And if you're doing something wrong, you're doing something wrong. But um, people, he's saying it's harder to hire nowadays because people people don't want to do the job because – it, you know, there's before it used to be maybe I don't want to get hurt or shot on the job or whatever. Now it's I don't want to get in trouble for I don't want somebody filming me and and you know I, it's not it's not something I want to take on, even if you're doing things right. It's somebody's always looking. You know what I mean? And so there's another example. Things of change. Things change. You know, jobs change, and they change under your feet. And yeah. so I'm looking at these. I'm looking at the taxi drivers, and I'm sympathetic. Again, we work in the media. The media world is changing. I get it, but I don't know that you can go back and say. I mean, it, to me, when you buy a license, in a sense, you're gambling on yourself. It, it is a wager that you are going to be able to make a living. That you are going to use that to, I mean, what if you get your electrician's license? I, I think elect, do electricians need a license. I don't know. Let's say they do. I, mm-hmm. I think they do. Yeah. All right. So let's say you get your electrician's license and then all of a sudden 400 new electricians move into the city. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know why they yeah. would, uh, but whatever, there's a, suddenly a whole glut of electricians. Can you then say, I deserve to be paying less on my license? No, you've, you've gambled on that yep. as your industry. And if it works really well, 
I don't think you're going to go back to the city and say, you know what? I made a lot of money this year. My license only cost me 300 bucks. Here's another thousand. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's on the person, or in this case, it's on um, taxi drivers to sort of stand out and it's on them to separate themselves from, from the competition. You know, if you're, if you're not making as much money anymore, um, what can you do to, to better, you know, your, uh, your situation so that, you know, you're a better, it's a better experience for, for your customers, right? Stand out. You gotta, you know, you, that's the thing. There's always somebody else coming up, um, and you've got to, you got to, uh, it's cutthroat out there. By the way, that music that I said right off the top, that was uh, Taxi. So uh, if you're yeah. wondering why that <laughs> music we're playing. Uh, speaking of things changing, let me just switch tack a little bit here because this story came up today. I found this today online. And half of me thinks this is the greatest thing ever because <laughs> at my core... I have a strong, lazy gene. Oh. But the other side of me, well, I don't know. Here it is. There, the uh, Nature Conservancy of Canada, that's all capital letters, Nature Conservancy of Canada, it's a, it's a group that's around, are telling people, are urging people, do not rake your leaves. Oh. Leave the leaves on the ground because that is healthy. It allows... Habitat for butterflies, moths, and different kinds of insects that can overwinter, that can live under the leaves. It's good for frogs and toads. It's food for birds in the spring. It's great for your grass. It helps with fertilization. Fruits and seeds that remain on flowers and shrubs are crucial food source, blah, blah, blah. It's good for birds. Just if you're, if you have a big tree in your front lawn and it dumps 12 billion leaves onto Mm -hmm. the grass, Jay... Don't touch them and just take, tell your wife, you know what? I'm helping nature. Well, what what have I been doing? <laughs> what have we been doing all these years? What? <laughs> yeah, I was always told you got to rake your leaves, right? You got to rake your leaves, and you, you know, aerate and, the grass, like, let the grass breathe he- over the winter. Heaven forbid, you know, it snows and you got leaves out there, right? And then they get all hard and crunchy, and you don't want to leave them there all winter. You what? Yeah, why was why were we? I guess, was that what it was? Letting the grass breathe? I or? don't know. All I know is wow. if I decide that uh, that I want to rake my leaves on my lawn, because mm-hmm. I want my lawn to look nice and look neat and tidy, if I overcome my laziness <laughs> and I decide to do this, and my next door neighbor with their giant tree has all these leaves fall and just let them sit there, which inevitably then are going to do what? They're going to be on your lawn. Blow on to my you grass. Know? I am not going to be looking at this person as a an environmental hero. <laughs> I'm going to be salty. Yeah. There's nothing worse than raking your leaves and then having the wind shift and then your lazy your lazy neighbor all of their stuff ends up on on your lawn. There are two there are two wind issues in home outdoor care that stink. One is the raking of the leaves when the wind changes and mm-hmm. you've just done the raking into a big pile and a gust of wind comes along. Yep. And the other is when you're using your snowblower <laughs> and you're planting it with the wind and the wind changes and you now end up with the whole gust of snow uh, on your face. Yeah. I, wow. I mean, cause I cut the grass maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And, uh, I actually ended up just 
cutting right over top of the, the leaves and it wasn't it was there weren't that many at the time but uh, and it looked good when I was done but now we've had some wind and we've the, you know the leaves have turned and a lot of them have fallen off it's still a lot to go but uh, well they're saying if you don't like it on your lawn if you're worried about smothering your lawn or having clogged gutters, just jam them, tuck them under bushes or in areas away from the house. They make good mulch. So just grab piles of leaves and ram them into your <laughs> bush beds, I guess, or something <laughs> like it. I mean, I love the concept of being able to tell my wife that I'm, I'm simply doing the environmentally responsible thing by yeah. not raking, by yeah. not cleaning up the yard. But I'm not sure that's going to fly. It depends with how, her or the neighbors. Yeah, it depends. Uh, you know what her overall stance is on uh, on leaves. If she's a staunch rake it up, uh, you know, advocate, then she's gonna you're gonna have your hands full. But if she's if she's kind of the ah, you know, maybe we'll get to it. The problem with leaves too is it's 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 a they don't all just fall off in one day, right? And and different trees are a different time. So you know, to me, I I sort of well, let's let the wind carry things where where it may. And but you know, I I don't want to do it six times unless you live on a street that is Birkenstock Lane, Environmental <laughs> Avenue. All right, unless you're living on a street where everybody is on board with this concept. <laughs> yeah. All right. This is not going to make you a popular neighbor. I mean, if you're all on board with this, if all of you sit around and your weekend activity is to have an herbal tea and discuss global warming, (laughs) then, you know, probably you're going to have one of your little conventions at one of your houses and eating your granola bars, your organic vegan (laughs) granola bars and talking about, you know, I read this and boy, it makes all the sense in the world. Let's all do this. All right. Then... Fine, but if you've got the one guy or woman, whatever, on the street who like to have a nice yard, this is not going to end well. No. Yeah, I, I could see uh, I could see it being a very contentious issue because, uh, yeah, what's, what's on your neighbor's lawn is inevitably going to blow over onto yours. And so if, if, he, if a whole bunch of people or just the one guy is not going to rake his leaves and it ends up on your lawn, then just makes twice the work for you, right? Out of curiosity, Mm -hmm. is living creatures' droppings not also good for the lawn and good for the environment? I believe it is. I believe that, you know, dogs and other animals, their poops are supposed to be. So should we now say... Look, it's a it's a blessing. It's a gift if I walk my dog past your house and he <laughs> squats on your lawn. Don't look at it as a bad thing. I don't want to carry a baggie around. I am giving you the gift of green grass come spring. Gift of a steamer. Eh? I'm, giving, I'm giving you the chance to have a beautiful lawn when spring rolls around. I'm not thinking no. there's, again, unless you're with your group of... Um, of Herbal teaites, <laughs> I, I just don't see that these things are going to be met with great excitement about yeah. the the future goodness. I'm with you there. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think, uh, yeah, no, I I've been watching out my window, and you know, 
when somebody has a dog that it goes on the lawn. I mean, I, I'm waiting with bated breath to see if uh, they're going to bag it up, right? Because Have you ever yelled out at them? They, uh, I've never seen anybody not pick up the, uh, the steamer. <laughs> it's a, it's usually they're pretty good, uh, but uh, well, yeah. it's a relief. Yeah. So you live in a good neighborhood, then apparently, yeah. Contemplate that one and the use of the word steamer. Put that one in your <laughs> dic- in your mental dictionary to use often this winter. Drop it in conversation as often as you can and see if people can put the reference together. Drop it in conversation. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.